November is uh, Adoption Awareness Month. Not sure if you're aware of that, but yesterday was National Adoption Day. And uh, November 9th, that was actually World Adoption Day. And so I have the immense privilege of preaching on a topic that is so, so dear to, to my heart. For those of you who know uh, my story and Lindsay's story, we adopted uh, our two-year-old daughter from Columbus, Ohio. And, uh, and so this topic is, uh, is so close to my heart. I can't believe that she's turning two in, uh, in just a couple of weeks, that two years ago uh, we went through this adoption story. And I would love to, um, to take this whole sermon and just tell you the story of, of God's faithfulness to us, even though um, it was a painful process and uh, God used our infertility and, um, and just that season of agony um, to kind of flex his faithfulness and, and providing an opportunity to, uh, to adopt Ellie. And, uh, and one of the surprising things about that whole process was how much the Lord taught me about my adoption into his family through adopting Ellie. And so I'd love to share some of that as we move through Romans chapter 8. So let's, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we can dive into Romans chapter 8. <clears throat> God, we thank you for the power of your word. God, that your word does not come back void, that it has a specific purpose this morning. So God, as we look to Romans 8, God, we pray that we would have an encounter with you. Lord, we want to hear from you. And so I pray by the power of Christ that you would silence every other voice in this room that is not yours. God, help us to see Jesus in this passage. God, would you stir our affections for him? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I think that there are um, some issues and some causes in the Christian life that we can sometimes look at and say, that's just not for me. I think we can look at some initiatives, some causes that we would say, those are really, really good causes, but I just don't feel called to that. We can look at those causes and say, you know, I'm so glad that a select group of people are passionate about that. And I think that's great but I'm, not, I'm just not going to participate in that. <clears throat> and I think the issue of orphan care can kind of fall into that category, where if we were honest, we can sometimes look at orphan care and even the option of adoption, and we can say to ourselves, that's a great cause, but I may not feel called to that. That may not just be for me. That's, that's the Bell's issue, or that's the, the Beals' issue, but that's not necessarily my issue. And one of the things that I want us to see this morning through Romans chapter 8 is that the issue of orphan care is all of our issue. That this is an issue that is so, so dear to God's heart that if you're a follower of Christ, that you should participate in orphan care in some way or shape. James 1, 27 says, Pure religion is this, that you care for orphans and widows in their distress, and that you keep yourself unstained from the world. Isn't it interesting that he says this is true religion, that this is what it means to follow God, is orphan care. It's caring for them in their distress, that this is, this is a command for all of us who have been adopted into God's family to participate in orphan care in some way. And so what I want us to see this morning is that if you've been truly adopted into God's family, that one way that you can see that is in your participation in orphan care. J.I. Packer, in his well-known book called Knowing God, he, he said it this way. 
He said, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. For everything that Christ taught, everything that makes the New Testament new and better than the old, everything that is distinctively Christian as opposed to merely Jewish is summed up in the knowledge of the fatherhood of God. That father is the Christian name for God. That our understanding of Christianity cannot be better than our grasp of adoption. It's a bold claim. And do you view your adoption in Christ in that way? Because here's the, here's the question for us. Here's, here's the tension that I want us to feel this morning. Is, is the doctrine of our adoption in Christ, is this some sort of abstract doctrine that has no bearing on our day-to-day life? Or does the doctrine of adoption in Christ work? In other words, does our adoption in Christ actually intersect with how we live our lives day in and day out? Does it actually work? And so what I want to argue this morning is that our adoption in Christ not only works, but it changes everything. That if you've been adopted into God's family, it impacts every arena of your life. And so as we move through this passage in Romans uh, chapter 8, verses 12 through 17, I just have um, three new realities that Paul brings out for those who are in Christ, who are in God's family. So three new realities as we move through Romans 8. Here's the first one. Verses 12 through 14, that we have a new belonging. We have a new belonging. Let me read verses 12 through 14 here. It says, So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Now Paul begins this section here by saying, So then... And what he's doing here is is he's saying that this section in Romans chapter 8, verses 12 through 17, connects with the previous passage of verses 9 through 11. And in verses 9 through 11, Paul explains the beautiful role of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. That because the Spirit of God dwells in us, we have the power to put to death sin in our life, to put to death the deeds of the flesh. And he says here that if you have the Spirit of God living in you, you have a new belonging. Look at verse 9 there, chapter 8. He says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. And then he says this, he says, Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. I think the reverse is even true. That if the Spirit of Christ is in you, that you belong to God. That you have a new belonging in his family. So Paul begins our passage. He says, so then, or because you're able to put to death sin in your life, don't live according to the flesh. Put to death the sin in your life because you have a new belonging. Verse 13, he stresses it even further. He says, if you live according to the flesh, 
that is everything in this life that is in rebellion against God, you will die. He's referring to the spiritual death, life without God. Now the point of verses 12 to 13 is to show that you no longer belong to sin, that you no longer belong to living a life characterized by the deeds of the flesh, that you have this new belonging and this new belonging is in the family of God. And so you operate your life out of a new value system, one of righteousness and holiness after God. Verse 14, he makes this even clearer. He says, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Now, let me highlight this word for in, in verse 14. This word is used to explain and justify the conclusion that Paul just made in verse 13. That you put to death sin because you are a son of God. In other words, that you belong to God. You have a new family. That you are in a new category. You have a new position. You're no longer in sin, but you're in Christ. And therefore, you're in the family of God. That you belong in his family. Now, the way that we put to death sin, I think, is by understanding this new belonging. That adoption addresses the fundamental need of every human heart. That each and every one of us, we, we crave to belong somewhere. That we crave to be accepted. We, we crave to, to be approved. To have someone look us in the eyes and say, you belong here. And adoption addresses that issue by providing a new belonging into God's family. That adoption is this intensely relational concept of God the Father wanting a relationship with us through the gospel. And it's expressed in family language. I, I love this, this term that Paul uses here. He says it, it's meaning that this legal term that refers to the transfer from one family to another, that in the ancient world, this legal arrangement gave an adopted son all of the rights of a natural son that this becomes your new identity, that your new belonging defines you. Think about that, that your old identity doesn't define you anymore, that your old sin, your old life before Christ no longer defines you, that what defines you now is this new identity in the family of God. So just to make this, drive this point home even further, that for some of us in this room, that, that divorce that you may have had, that no longer defines you. That that abortion that you may have had, that, that no longer defines you. That, that enslavement to pornography, that no longer defines you. That being gripped by fear and anxiety and worry that no longer defines you. What defines you now is your identity into God's family, that you belong to God's family. And this is all possible because of what Christ has done. 2,000 years ago, think about this, God the Father sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sin, that he took our penalty. He took the wrath of God, everything that was intended for us, and he absorbed all of it for us, clearing our debts. Now, why would Jesus do that? Why would the perfect son of God die for us? Well, it's in order to make us adoptable. Because we weren't adoptable before Christ. We were un 
adoptable. We were dead in our sins. We were enemies of God. That according to Scripture, Scripture defines us as a spiritual orphan, that we were a slave to sin, and we were enemies of Him. And so Christ, the Son of God, had to die for us in order to make us adoptable. Think about that. That is utterly amazing. That is something that we can never become bored of, that we can never move on from from just being in awe that God the Father sent his only son to die for us, to make us adoptable. I know even for our own story, adopting Ellie, man, whenever I tell that story, I still get chills. I, I just, I cannot, I can't fathom becoming bored of telling that story of how we adopted Ellie. I, I, if, if you've ever heard it from me, I almost share too many details because I get so excited about that adoption story. And the reason for that is because it changed everything for us. It, it changed every area of our life. And think about your own adoption story into God's family. Have you become bored of that? Have you become bored of how Christ made you adoptable to being adopted into God's family? When was the last time that you shared your adoption story with someone else? When was the last time that you got chills telling someone how Christ adopted you through the death of Christ? Does that still stir your affections when you explain that the perfect son of God died in your place so that you could be adopted into God's family? Or have you become bored of it? Have you kind of moved on and that was something in the past and it no longer excites you, no longer gives you chills? And I wonder if that that describes you today. I wonder if you're failing to understand just how unadoptable that you were, that I was before Christ, that we were his enemies, and yet he still died for us in order to make us adoptable. Because I think this issue of adoption that we'll we'll never fully understand, we'll, we'll never fully grasp the beauty and the depth of this robust reality of being adopted into God's family if we forget to remember that Christ died for us and that it was a painful death of what God the Father went through in order to make us adoptable, that it involved pain. That, that's what adoption is about. Adoption is about pain. It's about loss. It's, it's about agony. I know for our own story, there, there was so much difficulty. There was so much pain and, and agony. And, and God has used our infertility and, and our sense of loss. And, and yet there's a scene in my mind that will never escape me. There's a scene in my mind that I will never, ever forget. It was when Ellie, our two-year-old daughter, when she was two days old, we went to the hospital and, and we picked her up and we were taking her home with us. And there's this scene where the birth mother said goodbye to Ellie. Never forget that scene, the the amount of pain that that birth mother experienced, the amount of of agony, the the sense of loss. I I will never forget that. And and our adoption story is is really smooth compared to others, and yet there was incredible amounts of pain because adoption is about pain and it's about loss. 
And, and one of my fears is that if we, if we dim down adoption, whether we're talking about spiritual adoption or physical adoption, if we dim it down to it being this cute little happy process, then we are dimming down the death of Jesus Christ. That we're dimming down, the, as the hymn writer put it, the searing loss that God the Father went through in making us adoptable children so that we have this new belonging that Christ had to die to adopt us into his family in order for us to belong to his family, that we have this new belonging. And so correctly understanding this new belonging enables us to put to death the deeds of the flesh, as Paul put it in verses 12 and 13, that we have to understand verse 14 that we have this new identity as sons and daughters into God's family. So this first one, we have a new belonging. Number two, the second new reality that we have because we've been adopted into God's family is we have a new assurance, a new assurance in verses 15 and 16. Paul says this, it says, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. But the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Now we have this new assurance into God's family, this incredibly important reality. This idea of assurance came across um, this article that I read over a year ago by Christianity Today titled, All My Children Are My Own. And this mother writes about her adoption story of adopting her daughter. And she gets at this idea of assurance that, that I just want to read for you. I wish I could read this whole article, but I, I'm just going to read a couple paragraphs here. And she, she gets right at the issue of assurance. Listen to this. If mommy gets a belly in her, if mommy gets a baby in her belly, will you send me back? My daughter asked, with nervous eyes searching the floor, inhaling the shame of those words as if they were her indictment. Adoption saved her and it haunts her. Because of its open-ended definition to her, it's still a question. She, like many of the rest of us, has yet to reconcile the power of this one act of being adopted. I hadn't even kissed their foreheads or tickled their feet and this stranger's words about them stung. Oh, you're adopting? Just you wait. Once you have them at home, I'm sure you'll be able to have children of your own. A phrase I've heard a hundred times and it never ceases to give my heart pause. Children of your own. Words that expose a subconscious understanding of adoption as charitable affection versus primal love as if these once adopted ones were somehow not truly mine. We prefer not to refer to our children as adopted children, as we see adoption as having been a one-time event. We just call them our children. See, our language about physical adoption reveals the gaps in our understanding about how God has adopted us. And my daughter's eyes fill with the shame of her history and her heart begins to clamp behind them because adoption is still her question, am I truly in or am I just posing? 
So when I hear that phrase, a, chi- a child of your own, separating the children under my roof from the one born from my womb, my heart saddens at the misunderstanding of this wild love that's been birthed within my home among children who wear another mama's skin. I can't help but think of God, our Father. He calls me his own. When the world in my heart wants to label me forever severed, that adoption is his great declaration. This, this article was so powerful as I was reading it because I think that this mother gets at this issue of assurance in, in a very unique way. See, this woman recognized that for her daughter, her daughter's issue was a lack of assurance because she was failing to understand that adoption is this one-time event that will never, ever change. And I don't know about you, but assurance is, is incredibly relevant to me in my own life. That I know for me, I've, I've wrestled with this idea of assurance many times in my life. I, I've wondered, even as a pastor throughout my life, like, am I truly in God's family or am I out? If Christ has made me adoptable, is it possible for me to make myself unadoptable? I'm sure that you've wrestled with this too throughout different times and seasons of your own life. And maybe through seasons of doubting or intense questioning or living in sin, we, we all will wrestle with this idea of assurance. Am I truly in God's family? This is very relevant for us. So how do we reconcile this issue of assurance if we're in God's family? Well, what does Paul do here in verses 15 and 16? Look, look at it. Let me just point out real quick what Paul does not say. That Paul does not say that for us to have assurance that you're going to feel at peace about everything. He doesn't say that there. What Paul does not say is that you'll have assurance that you're in God's family if you're, if you're singing hymns all throughout the day. He doesn't say that. Paul does not say that you'll have assurance that you're in God's family based on your church attendance or based on your performance with the law. What Paul says that you will have assurance that you're in God's family if the Spirit of God enables you to cry out to God as your Father, saying, Abba, Father. That this term that Paul is using here would have been the first words that a baby would have uttered to its father. It's kind of like saying Dada or, or Daddy, which for the record, Ellie, that was Ellie's first words. It wasn't Mama, it was Daddy, so point for the dads in the room. But it's this incredibly relational and intimate term. Now, let me be clear, though, that what Paul is not saying here is that you'll have assurance that you'll know that you're in God's family if you kind of coo at God. He's not saying that here. What Paul is saying is that you will have assurance that you're in God's family if the Spirit of God is enabling you to groan out and to cry out and to scream out to God as your Father, Abba, Father, please help me, please save me. Now why? Why does this give us assurance? Well, when you and I cry out to God as our Father in our time of need, we are identifying with our big brother, Jesus Christ. That in Mark chapter 14, verse 36, we, we see Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane. And if you remember that scene there, Jesus was sweating tears of blood. 
He was filled with agony and he was wrestling. This was the night before his crucifixion. And if you notice in that scene, what Jesus does there is he cries out to God as his Abba, Father, please allow this cup to pass from me. Not what I will, but what you will be done. And so when you and I, when we are faced with agony, when we are in a trial or a hardship, and our first reaction is to go to God as our Father, and we cry out to him, Abba, Father, please help me. We are expressing our union with Jesus Christ. And that gives us assurance that when the Spirit of God enables us to cry out to him in our time of need, that is as instinctive as a toddler who falls down and its first reaction is to cry out to its father, Daddy, help me. So when you are faced with a trial, when you are faced in hardship, when you have just these powerful doubts surrounding you, when you have emotions in your life that are trying to convince you that you're not in his family, and yet you still cry out to God as your father, no matter how broken or bruised that you may feel, that is the spirit of Christ whispering to your souls, you are his. This is how we know that we're in God's family. This is our assurance that the Spirit of God not only allows us to be in his family, but the Spirit of Christ confirms that we belong to him. So we have this, this new assurance. The last thing here, in verse 17, that Paul explains this new reality of having a new future, a new future that we not only have this new belonging, we not only have this new assurance, but this third new reality is we have a new future. Verse 17, Paul says, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. And what, what a significant verse here. What, what a powerful reality of what Paul is claiming here. That if you're part of God's family this morning, that you have all of the blessings, all of the promises, all of the inheritance that is Christ is yours. This is an amazing connection that Paul is making here in this section. What Paul is doing here is he's connecting the future inheritance that is ours, that we're an heir with Christ, with our identity as a child of God. That part of our new future is, yes, we get the blessings. Yes, we get the inheritance. But listen to this. You get God. You get God himself in heaven. That you will one day look at your father in the eyes. That this is our new future for those of us who are in the family of God. And Paul is connecting these two realities in order for us to put to death the deeds of the flesh. What Paul is doing here is he's saying, look, wake up. Like realize what is yours in Christ and compare your inheritance with the empty promises that sin and temptation come to us with. And if we could just see the comparison, if we could just see what is ours in Christ we would see just how pathetic the temptation and the sin is in our life and we would run from the sin. 
that Paul's tone here in this passage is, is full of urgency. It's full of urgency for us to understand that we are an heir with Christ. And if we could understand our position with Jesus in heaven, that we would run from sin. And I wonder if there are some in this room that just, you just need to hear this, that you are an heir with Christ. So don't, don't go back to living as an orphan. Don't go back to living as a slave, that you are a child of God and so live like it. That if you're here this morning and you're, you're being tempted to going back to living as a spiritual orphan, whether it's the, the sin of gossip or the sin of pornography or the sin of using worldly success and, and accomplishment and money to define your identity, don't go back to that lifestyle. Understand what is yours in Christ, that your identity is a child of the King of Kings. And if we could just understand that, we could understand just how pathetic the sin in this world is and we would run from it because of the rich inheritance that is ours in Christ. So we're in this struggle, in this life, we're in this battle every day to repent of sin and turn to Christ. It's, it's this real struggle I think in verse 17, the suffering that Paul is alluding to is this struggle not to go back to living as a spiritual orphan, not to go back as living as a slave, that we're in this battle against sin every single day. And the reason for that is because our birth father, Satan himself, has not left us. That's why we're in this struggle, that Satan himself, the one that we used to act like, the one that we used to live like has not left us. And in fact, he's trying to draw us back and, and living like a slave, living like an orphan. And the reason for that is because what he fears the most is when children of God actually live like children of God. That when the family of God actually lives out their position in Christ and they understand their rich inheritance, that's what he fears the most. And so he's trying to draw us back to living like an orphan, at living like a slave. So we need to remember that this rich inheritance is ours, that we can put to death the deeds of the flesh. And I just love the logic of Paul in this passage, that if we're going to actually do verses 12 and 13, we have to understand verse 14 and verse 17, that you're a son of God, that you have this rich inheritance, you have this assurance, so therefore put to death the deeds of the flesh. So as we move towards application here, so what does this mean for us practically? So, so what are the implications of, of these three new realities? Like, d does this reality of this doctrine, this theology, does it actually work? Does it actually impact how I live my day in and day out life? I would argue yes. And in fact, there are four practical implications that I just want to spend time unpacking for us this morning. I sat in my office this week and actually wrote out 50 practical applications of, of us being adopted into God's family, but I only have time to share four. So, number one, that we are loved unconditionally. We are loved 
unconditionally. The reality of this, being adopted into God's family, is that we didn't earn that. That we had no part in, in our morality or us working our way into God's family. And so we're loved unconditionally because God's love is not based on our performance. That God, before the foundations of the world, unconditionally elected and chose us to be part of his family. So we, we didn't earn it, therefore we cannot lose his love. That we are loved unconditionally. I just want to say that this morning, that this topic of, of God being our heavenly father who loves us, for, for some of us in this room, it's probably been a very difficult subject. That for some in this room, I, I know that because of your earthly father, that this idea of, of God being a heavenly father who loves me is, is probably very difficult for some today. That maybe you had just a lousy earthly father who was never around for you growing up. That maybe you had a, an earthly father who left you when you were a child. You need to know this, that you have a heavenly father who promises never to leave you or forsake you. And maybe you had an earthly father, just a horrific earthly father who abused you growing up. And maybe he abused you emotionally or, or physically. And so this idea of, of God being a father is so difficult for you. My, my prayer for you is that you would understand that God the Father desires to put his loving arms around you and just to delight in you today. And maybe you had an earthly father who never told you he loves you never told you that he's, he's proud of you. So thinking about God as a father is so hard. Please hear this this morning, that you have a heavenly father who sings over you, who delights in you today, that you are loved unconditionally, and that will never, ever change. Second thing here is that we can have true peace we can have true peace. So we're not only loved unconditionally, but we can have true peace. I love this reality that no matter what we go through, no matter what trial, no matter what hardship, no matter what news from the doctor that you might receive, no matter if this week at work you receive a, a pink slip, or no matter what relationship is, is severed, no matter what you're feeling, that God is still in control that God is sovereign, that nothing that you and I experience hasn't first gone through the hands of our loving Father. So I don't know about you, but I, I can rest in that. Like I, I can rest in the reality of God's sovereignty, that he's going to work out all things for our good and for his glory. That, that there's no surprises with God, that nothing that we go through just takes God off guard. And so that gives us true peace, that he's going to use everything for our good and for his glory. And we can rest in that reality that that actually generates peace. That no matter how difficult things may get, that God's in control, that God is using that for his glory. I had the opportunity um, this week to fly to Boston and, and spend the day with the Sheritz family and Matt and Victoria um, attend this campus and as we prayed this morning, sweet Madeline is just going through a battle with, with her esophagus and her trachea. 
she had this long surgery on Thursday and I was just able just to spend time with Matt and Victoria and just pray with them and, and encourage them. And over and over and over again, you know, we're, we're wondering, why is this happening? Why, why did this occur? Did God know that this happened? And for me as a pastor in those moments, the sovereignty of God just becomes this warm blanket to the soul. That God was not surprised at this. That God was not taken off guard. He didn't think, wow, I, I can't believe that, that sweet Madeline has a hole in her esophagus. No, this was part of God's plan for him to receive glory. And so we just spent time just, just enjoying the sovereignty of God and how much peace that that gives us. So no matter what you go through, you have a heavenly father who's working out everything for your good and for his glory. It's not easy. It's not, it's not easy, but it's for your good. The third thing here, third implication or application of our adoption into God's family is that we seek after spiritual orphans. It's that we actually pursue spiritual orphans in our life, that, that we view the spiritual orphans in our sphere of influence differently. That we look at our coworkers and, and our neighbors and, and, and the people in our family or friend group that, that don't know Christ and it becomes our mission to invite them into this family of God. That if you've truly been adopted into God's family, you're actually gonna run after the orphans in this world, the spiritual orphans, and say, hey, come be part of this family. Come, have a, have a belonging with God through Christ. Have an assurance, have a, a new future. So if you've truly been adopted into God's family, this is part of who you are. That this is a value of being in God's family, that you're going to constantly be inviting people to, to come and join this family and say to people, no matter your past, no matter what you're struggling with, no matter the sin in your life, you can be part of the family of God. And that's what children of God do. We're sharing the gospel with people. We're evangelizing. We're pursuing the spiritual orphans in our life because we remember that we were once unadoptable, that we were objects of his wrath. So the last one here, fourth one, is that we participate in orphan care, physical orphan care. So when we look at the, the physical orphans in this world, over 132 million orphans in this world. So I don't know about you, I don't know if that's just a stat for you, but I know for Lindsay and I, for others, we have real faces that we know who are orphans. That is a staggering, staggering number. And if you're in God's family, if you've been adopted by Christ, you will actually participate in orphan care in some way or shape. That this is not optional. That this is a command for us in some way to participate in orphan care. And so as we look at this Implication. I just have five ways that you can participate in orphan care. Five practical ways. Number one is pray. Number one, pray. Pray for your own heart. Pray that God would continue to stir a desire in you to, to help and participate in orphan care in some way. That, that pray that, that God might continue to remind you of how unadoptable that you were in the power of the gospel 
and, and pray for the orphans in this world. So, so number one, pray. Number two, be aware. Be aware. In, in other words, educate yourself. Like learn about the orphan care, about how to do it well. Learn about how many orphans there are in, in Indianapolis or in, in this country and, and educate yourself about, about even how to interact with, with other families who have adopted. I mean, I know for Lindsay and I, we, we interact with people just out in public and, and just like what the article said, people can say some hurtful things with, without even knowing it, just well-intentioned. And yet, without proper education of the matter can be very, very hurtful. And so just educate yourself of, of what to say, of what category to put adopted children in, that they're not second-rate children, that they are part of that family. And so just, just be aware. And number three is to give financially. Give financially that adopting is not, um, not a cheap process that it's, it's an expensive thing. And this is, this is a great way to participate in orphan care and participate with other people in the family of God to give financially who are going through the process and, and partnering with them in their adoption process. Number four, give your time. Give your time. That there's a, a great organization called Hands of Hope in, in Noblesville here that even our own Adam Snively, he's on the board. It's a great organization for, for you just to participate in orphan care, to volunteer your time and, and spend time with orphans, to love on orphans, or to, to, to actually send them care packages, or to sponsor an orphan and, and care for them in that way. That we actually have had a small group, the Elliott Small Group, have gone there and they've, they've served there, they've cared for orphans. So Hands of Hope in Noblesville is just a phenomenal organization to directly apply your adoption into God's family with the orphans here in Indiana. So Hands of Hope cannot recommend that highly enough. And then the last one here, consider adopting. Just consider adopting. Pray about adopting that even if you have three or four or five biological children, still consider it. Like still pray, God, is this something that you want me to participate in? Is this something that, that you want me to pursue? Just pray and consider, is this, is this an option for us as a family? And so we, we are loved unconditionally. We can have true peace. We pursue the spiritual orphans in this world and, and we actually participate in physical orphan care in some way. And so as I, as I close this morning, I began claiming that adoption, being adopted into God's family, changes everything. My question as we close is, is has it for you? Has it really changed everything for you? Has being adopted into God's family, has it changed every arena of your life? Has it changed how you are as a spouse? How you are as a parent? How you are as an employee? Has it changed the way that you interact with other spiritual orphans? How, how you spend your money? How you spend your time? What you look at on the computer? Has it changed every arena of your life? Or are there some areas of your life that you haven't fully surrendered? That you might be still living as a spiritual orphan or as a slave and, and you haven't lived out your reality as a child of God? My, 
my challenge for you today is, is as, we, as we close, and we're going to sing just another song or two, is just to respond to God as your father, to surrender that arena of your life that you haven't yet. Just lay it out before the Lord and, and repent of that and give it over to God. That being adopted in his family, God doesn't just want one area of your life. He wants it all. He wants it all. And for those of us who are in this room and, and you're not part of God's family, you, you would say that you are a spiritual orphan. My prayer for you all week, and if I could just beg you today, is just to consider being part of this family. It's been my prayer, it's been my burden all week that for those who are in this room and you're not a Christian, you're not in God's family, that you would look at these three realities and you would say in your heart, I want those. I, I want to belong. I want this assurance. I want this future in Christ. I, I want that. I want to be part of God's family. My prayer for you is that you just be blown away by what Christ has done for you in making you adoptable. So my prayer is that you would put your faith in Christ that you would turn from your sin and that you would join the family of God this morning. And, and I would just love to talk to you about that more after the service and just pray with you and walk you through what that looks like and the implications of that. So praise the Lord for Jesus and for the reality of this new family that we have, that we have a new belonging, we have a new assurance, and we have a new future because of Jesus. So let's pray. God, we give you praise for Jesus Christ. God, we thank you for his death and his resurrection that has made us adoptable. God, I thank you that, that what he went through was a painful process. God, that we can look at Jesus as our big brother now, that we are part of his family. So God, I pray that as we just close out this morning, God, I pray that you would continue to stir our affections for him today. God, I pray that even as we walk out of this room, God, that we would have a deeper appreciation of our identity as a child of you. So Lord, I pray that this would move us to action. God, I pray that we would understand that we are loved, that we can have true peace. And Lord, you put it on our hearts, a burden to pursue both the spiritual orphans and the physical orphans in our sphere of influence. So God, we give you praise and glory. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen.